Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Today's guest is Steve Bolton. Steve was the former founder of Platinum Property Partners, PPP. From 2007 until 2017, he built PPP into one of the UK's leading HMO investment businesses with more than £400 million of HMOs under management and 7,000 rental rooms in the portfolio. After leading a failed attempt to overturn Section 24 in the High Court back in 2016, Steve decided it was time to diversify and start investing in other asset classes. He started to exit PPP in 2017 and focused on investing into high-growth, early-stage EIS qualifying businesses in the tech and e-commerce sectors. Through Bolt Angels and other companies in the Bolt portfolio, Steve has yet again achieved remarkable success. Bolt's most recent investment, exiting at 46 times the original investment amount post-dilution, which is the equivalent of turning £100,000 into £4.6 million. Steve is also a dad of four, an avid boat and dog lover, and he spends his time between Bournemouth, London and Ibiza. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Kearns, and with us today, we've got a very special guest, Steve Bolton. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hi, Michelle. Very good. Thank you. Great. Well, um, I've just done the intro, so people have just got an overview about, you know, your bio, very high level about what you've been doing with um, Platinum Property Partners in the past and, um, and you know, what you're up to now. But, you know, your success to date uh, in the business and property world has been uh, quite considerable. So I'm sure there's lots of things that um, people can learn from what we're going to be talking about to today. Um, but just, I suppose, in your own words, really, you know, I mean, I don't want to kind of start from, you know, day one and work our way through. But let's say, well, you know, the highlights of growing such a successful, you know, lettings business early on. Um, how did you find that journey? I mean, it's quite remarkable what you've done. So um, how did how did it happen? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, the very, very short intro, left school at 16 with no qualifications, didn't go to university, got fed up working for other people um, in a job. So in my mid 20s, I quit, but I set up another business alongside it. That went very well, launched another business in construction. We had one in construction, one is man- management training and development. Um, and then September the 11th, foot and mouth disease happened back in 2001 for those of old, those people that are old enough to remember. Um, and that had a devastating impact on both my businesses, one of which was put into voluntary liquidation. Um, and I had to, we bought a house to live in, um, I had a newborn baby on the way, and I had to sell that house to avoid bankruptcy at the time. So 
I call that the best worst experience of my life because as probably most people can relate to when things go wrong you learn lessons what would you do differently um, and I decided to get involved in property um, but I spent two years going on courses reading magazines buying books getting mentors before I bought a single a single property um, and I was lucky I had a little drop shipping business 20 years ago that sustained my my lifestyle um, and yeah, so that's what I did. I went all over America, all over the UK. And then in 2004, birth, bought my first um, investment property, which was actually an HMO, a house in multiple occupation for young working professional people, which are uh, pretty common these days. But back then, everybody said, what the hell are you doing? You want to do student letting if you want to do HMOs. Um, so bought one house using the funds that, that I had from the sale of my house. Um, recycled that money, um, then started getting interest from friends and family. So I started teaching them how to do it Then started getting interest from investors. So started investing, doing joint ventures and, and that kind of thing. Built up a portfolio of about six million pounds worth of HMOs primarily in Bournemouth and Poole down in Dorset, where I live. Wanted to keep it close to close to where I live. Um, and that gave me my kind of financial independence day where I had more income coming in from rental properties and profit than I did needed to kind of live. I wasn't I couldn't buy Necker Island. I was not Richard Branson or anything like that. Um, and my accountant said, why don't you franchise your business? And that's really what led to the formation of PPP. Wow. OK, so it, it makes it sound very easy there. I'm sure there was lots of challenges. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's, it's quite a big step to go from, you know, managing your own properties to, you know, turn that into a business. However, you know, from what you've just said, it sounds like you're an entrepreneur, like through and through in the blood. Yeah. <laughs> so was that a natural step for you to just, you know, go, go from managing your own to creating a business out of it? Yeah, I think it was most entrepreneurs, as you know, are naturally optimistic and most property investors, we are um you know divergent from the point of view of not you know letting go of a job starting your own career going out on your own even if you buy a property portfolio alongside your job you know there's still risk involved right rents you know rents can go up and down mortgage interest rates utility bills capital values fluctuate everybody thinks it's a, a guaranteed path to success and and it's not frankly um you can do very very well out of it uh, for me i think i just got to a point where I had a decent sized portfolio. I had a decent amount of borrowing against that. Um, and actually, I thought from a balance sheet perspective, I don't want to take on more risk. You never know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, the best way to protect against that was cash flow. So I had, had about 300% more rental income coming in than average buy-to-let investors. So that gave me that security because... I always, and I think it's a useful thing to do, right? Hope for the best plan for the worst. So when I started buying property, I assumed capital values would go down, mortgage interest rates would go up, other running costs would go up, some tenants wouldn't pay their rent. So if you factor in and you have a spreadsheet that looks at all of those things, then you're pretty secure. Um, and so it was a combination of not wanting to, I had a friend actually at the time who went to a hedge fund and said, I've got the, we, we started at the same time, 2004. Um, and we both built up a similar size portfolio. I decided to franchise and teach other people. And he decided to go to the city and ask for 5 million quid. They said, no, but if you want 50 million quid, then we'll back you. Um, so he got 50 million quid, then he got 100, then he got 200 million. 
And then the credit crunch happened and he personally guaranteed it. They called in the loans with 24 hours notice and he went personally bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the credit crunch happened for me, because I'd franchised the business model, it was, um, you know, it, so it wasn't an, a natural choice. It was risk aversion, um, but also my passion of teaching, training, coaching, mentoring. I do these you know, podcasts and things like that, because I just love sharing my knowledge of both the things I've done well, but more importantly, probably the mistakes I've made as well. So not a natural choice, but it was for me. It sounds, as you say, very risk averse, the how you've stacked the deals, if you like. I mean, I'm amazed you bought any at that <laughs> way. <laughs> with those kind of um, frames for, you know, the sort of long term. Most people are the opposite. I, I, I find, you know, they're, they're looking to um, bank on the capital appreciation and, and any cash flow is a bit of a bonus. So um, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, where as the mortgage rates have been so low, many people have come into property, into HMOs or um specifically HMOs or service accommodation where they are covering the uh, the utility bills as well yeah. and now the the rates have gone up and so have the utility costs and they're I guess finding sure. themselves uh without anywhere near as much cash flow as they used to sure however there are other people who who were you know either more risk averse or got trained in just stack the deal at at least six percent mortgage rates and now they're you know they're okay that you know they're still making cash flow because it's stacked at the beginning so how do you see that you know so if, if people were starting today with coming into property would you still advise them at the same thing to just you know plan for the worst yeah ab- absolutely I mean I think everybody's situation is different right so I think that that's the first thing to bear in mind what I always say to people that haven't bought property is if they um you know if they really want to for their own personal circumstances always be thinking about what you're going to buy and the exit strategy for that right so not just you know quite often i've encouraged people in the past if they were looking at one bedroom flat to maybe get something a little bit stretch themselves a little bit something that will produce more rental income because if you can you know buy a property and hold on to it for the long term because historically you know properties done very well over the long term um what do i think at the moment i think if you are not in a situation where you are compelled to buy with the economic uncertainty that we have at the moment you know we've seen the first um sort of annual fall in house prices for quite a long time so then you look at interest rates then you look at i mean the government uh, have put in place a variety of different measures as have the banks over the last few years things like help to buy right things like 0.25% 0.25% interest rates, half a percent interest rates. You look at what they're talking about doing now, putting a, uh, a deferment in place of mortgage interest if people can't afford the increase in payments because you've got all these people coming off of their low variable rates onto higher rates, and that's going to have a big impact on the market. So all the leading indicators that I see kind of tell me that we're going into a period of uncertainty and possibly a market correction. Um, which is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing, depending on your circumstances. You can make money in any market, right? Um, you can absolutely, if you've got the right strategy, you can make money in any market. You can buy really cheap. You can add value. You can either sell or you can kind of rent and get good income. Um, but my my guidance to most people at the moment, if you don't need to buy, 
still learn, still get educated, still do your research. Still, I spent two years, right, before I, and now I think if people are starting out, that education is absolutely key because at some point the market will correct. We'll see how everything kind of washes through. And if capital values do correct, what a great buying opportunity, right? So, um, yeah, I, I, that that would probably be my my guidance at the moment. And then the last thing, focus on cash flow, focus on income if you're doing it from a rental point of view. Yeah, I think you're right. The market certainly lends itself to some of the more creative strategies, perhaps rent to rent or rent to SA, where the where people aren't having to find the deposit money and commit to you know to, to purchasing uh, purchase these options. For example, there's there's plenty of creative strategies that perhaps people who are new to the industry don't necessarily appreciate. So as you say, it's really about understanding what is possible getting educated so that you can pick the right strategy for not just yourself and your own resources but actually what the market's doing as well um really important yeah okay so um and the the letting side of things is there anything any kind of patterns that you notice with building that business and um uh, and anything that you might do differently now yeah, I think when I started renting property in the beginning, I did it myself. So I'm a great believer of getting hands on, understand the business yourself. Uh, but there's an old saying, right? If you focus on your weaknesses, you just end up with a lot of well-developed weaknesses. <laughs> so um, it's like asking a fish to climb a tree, you know, so understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are. And I think there's a big point just about business and property in any form of investing about knowing yourself, understanding your strengths, your weaknesses, you know, what, um, yeah, and I just realized that, yes, I could do tenant management. Yes, I could manage tradespeople, but did I really enjoy it? No. Was I good at it? Not really. You know, I was functional and I understood it. So I employed people to do that for me, um, made, so, so yeah, a- absolutely. And there might be a financial necessity. Sometimes we have to do things in life and in work and in business that we don't want to do, but you're not in a position to afford to pay anybody else to do it at that moment in time so you just got to knuckle down and get on with it right um so i think the i mean the problem with talking to people like me that's been in property for a long time right is we're a bit jaded we've been through it i've got the was it they say seven years and ten thousand hours to achieve mastery well i've probably done 15 years and twenty thousand hours in property um so i just kind of zoom out and look at the macro and sort of think you know, I got into it at a really good time, got capital growth, focused on income. There was a financial crisis, um, whereas now I look at purchase prices, they're a lot higher. I mean, rents are a lot higher. So that's been one of the benefits. You know, there's always it's, it's rare that everything goes against you. Right. So in property, one of the things that has happened of rents have, have gone up. Um, you've got obviously things like the renters reform bill coming in to try and address that balance. Um, Because with a friend, Chris Cooper, we took the government to the High Court back in 2016 to try and overcome Section um, Section 24, um, which I still think is an outrageous tax on mortgage interest. It penalises people that are providing rental income and taxing them essentially on turnover, which is shocking. It's not done really anywhere in the world. Um, In fact, it breaks accounting principles that are known around the world. Um, So I think, yeah, the the rental side really really important you know focus on the cash flow consider buying through a limited company rather than an individual name 
So it's really about having a power team of advisors, having the knowledge, the support, the education, which is what you guys provide, um, but also then having a team of professionals and experts around you that can can guide you in the right direction. Um, yeah. How do you think that obviously, you know, you've mentioned quite a few of the challenges that are involved in in the property world at the moment. And, you know, it's it, there has been times where perhaps it's been easier for some people and, and now it might be harder for others. Yeah. Um, but essentially, everyone's in the same boat now. So they're all starting off people coming in with this this section yeah. 24 and the reform and etc. So um do you think that how do you think that will shape the way that investors invest? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely much more if you want to build a property business, it's a much more sophisticated and professional um, operation than it used to be. Right. Every year it's got harder and harder. There's more legislation. The government are supposed to simplify the tax system. They complicate it. They're supposed to simplify legislation. They complicate it. Um, so I definitely think it's harder. But if people are starting out and they have a personal desire, you know, to buy a property live in or to buy their first property to rent out, the fundamentals are still the same. Right. Focus on right house, right location, buying it as cheaply as you can, um, maximizing the rental income, trying to systemize the business in in, in a way that you can um, and also not putting your all, all your eggs in one basket. You know, I think actually the days of. Um, you know, just telling people to do property and that will be great. Um, you know, I think those days are long gone, frankly. I think it's yeah, m- much more sophisticated. And especially yeah, there's a few, yeah, there's a few different uh, ways of looking at it. So obviously you've yeah. uh you've got the property portfolio up and running, and then that allowed you to go into the letting side, and then you exited that and went into the business world as you know and, and, and continued on from there. So for I think for a lot of people getting involved in property they are not necessarily looking to build a huge you know property portfolio business or have you know hundreds of houses like their primary goal is to replace their income from the day job and buy back their time so actually with a handful of well structured deals that is very achievable would you agree um, I think anything's possible, right? So I've I've been out of it for what three years. So things yeah. like we talk about service accommodation. You know, my sister does that. She's got Airbnbs in a in a um, you know a big block of sixteen flats. Um, so there are definitely other ways of making money from property. Um, but I think a I'm not an expert in it now because I've been out <laughs> of it for quite a while. So I knew how to build a property portfolio of HMOs that help people you know, do exactly that, right? Generate 50 to 100,000 pounds with between four and six houses generally. Now to do that in certainly in London and the Southeast, you probably, instead of needing 300 grand, you know, to get into it, you probably need three quarters of a million to a million pounds. The purchase price is a lot higher. The yields have compressed. So I think that's another um, key point, Michelle, actually, is the location is really important. So matching that strategy that you're talking about with the right location, you know, down where I am at the moment in Bournemouth and in Poole in Dorset, HMO price is much, much higher than yeah. they used to be. But actually things like service accommodation can work really, really well. And I've seen a lot of people in the local area pivot from HMOs into service accommodation or, or other types of things, or just be really smart about the HMOs they buy 
where they might say I have something with three bedrooms and think, well, actually, I can get planning for an extension or it's got a garage and I can get two extra bedrooms out of that. So you're taking a smaller property and being very efficient by making it bigger and, and increasing your return. Yeah, getting educated is really uh, absolutely essential right now to just understand all your options. Awesome. For sure. So uh, how does your experience in the business world uh, relate to how you uh, saw property and how you managed your property business? Um, yeah, so I'd been in business myself since 94 and then start, started buying property in 2004. So you know that that was useful because i had the experience of setting up a company tax employees you know being an employer all, all of the kind of core functions of running a business was really useful um and i took that in i also there's some really great books right and you probably i'm sure read them as well um things like the the e-myth the entrepreneurial myth by michael gerber it's one of my um books you've got a whole series of them i spoke on stage with michael gerber actually about 15 years ago. And he said, you're the first person in the world I know that's franchise real estate investing. Will you write a book with me? And I said, I'd love to. I saw that as a real compliment. I then found out about three phone calls later, he wanted to charge me a hundred grand for the privilege of writing a book with him. And I had wow. to do all the writing. <laughs> so, um, uh, but, uh -huh. but, but the benefit of doing that, reading that book and going through that consultancy process in the nineties, it's all about systemization. You know, so I think actually having a systems based mindset was, um, you know, it's just a really, really useful thing to do. Yeah, that, that, that systems, obviously, you know, getting that right from the beginning really can either set yourself up to succeed or fail very quickly. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen it with lots of people that you mentor as well. Um, but the EMIT does talk about wearing lots of different hats and as entrepreneurs in property, you know, it's not just an understanding about bricks and mortar and tenants and and uh, you know the, what the government are doing it's also about marketing and systems yeah. etc so how have you managed to juggle so many different roles um in different industries um just experience actually i think the if i look back 10 years 20 years 30 years and i just look at what i do today 10 years ago, looking forward, I would be like, you'd never be able to do that, right? So I think everybody, when you start out, you know, it's a mistake people make, right? Sometimes they look up too much. I'm a great believer, we should go through life, reaching a hand up, asking for help, learning from others that have been there and done it, but also reaching a hand down to help other people on their journey as well. Because the, yeah, so so I think don't be overwhelmed when you hear stories from me or other people and you just think, I could never achieve that. I could never, you know, build a property portfolio, franchise it, pivot into a completely different industry, you know, launch an angel investing fund that raises millions of pounds. I wouldn't have thought I could do that 20 years ago, right? It was just like, it was quite overwhelming buying my first house, right? I remember going, talking to the estate agents for the first time frankly shitting myself right just like, didn't know what to say didn't know they were just asking me all these questions in language I didn't understand you know have you got funds on account with solicitor I was like no you know um didn't even really know what that meant at the time so and and then that's you know that happened with a lot of people that I mentored so I think having that empathy you know we do it as adults we do it as parents um where sometimes you forget where you came from and I think it's really important to remember that actually most things are scary the first time you do it. You know, that's why education and good advisors is fundamentally important because you get the right people around you and the right information stops you making some of the big mistakes. And you're always going to make mistakes. 
I think the key thing is not making the really big ones, right? Like buying the wrong house that doesn't have the right unit economics that is in the wrong area um, or assuming you can get planning permission, you can't, all of these things. So have that team to help you avoid the really big mistakes, but accept the fact you're going to, you are going to have some. Yeah. And when you talk about you obviously mentor other people in their journeys, what are the patterns that you see through the mentees that succeed versus the ones that don't? Yeah, great question. I mean, I don't do that anymore, but, um, you know, I did. I've probably mentored over a thousand people um, when when I did used to do that. Um, what do you think? It's desire, actually, is the most important thing. It was never the people. It's never the people I've worked with that had the most money that were necessarily the most successful. You know, they get there's normally a reason unless they've inherited it, why they've been able to create a certain amount of wealth. Um, so desire, really important. Understanding numbers, you know, the, the unit economics, understanding finances. I'm not I wasn't great at maths at school, but I learned when my first business failed back in 2001. That was a real I didn't understand the numbers enough. We just delegated delegated it to other people. Um, and actually, we needed to be in control and understand, you know, profit and loss, balance sheet, cash flow. So those things that if people are thinking about going into property and they don't understand their term, those terms, or they don't understand how to read or put together a P&L balance sheet and a cash flow, fundamentally important. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki talks about it in his book, right, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that the first thing you should do is hire a part time bookkeeper. And I read that. Um, I'd actually done it sort of previously, but I read that one and then I did it. You know, it was I paid them two hours a month. It was like 50, 20 quid a month. Right. But actually, they would come in. They would just go through personal finance with me uh, and have a look at it. So having that understanding of numbers, I think, is really, really important. Um, and then a, a, an ability, a, a degree of self-confidence, because you've got to take risks. You've got to be your own boss. You've got to have the courage of your convictions to go out there. But also the last one, I think really important, you've got to be teachable. You've got to be willing to learn. You know, I just find too many, oh no, that won't work. Or they either suffer from analysis paralysis where they just overthink it and don't actually do anything or they get really good advice um, and don't listen to it. And so though, those would be my top four. Yeah, it's interesting that three out of those four are actually um, something that's kind of, innate that you um, can't really teach somebody so you know learning about the PL and the, the accounts and that kind of thing that's pretty straightforward it's not rocket science anyone can pretty much learn the skill um skill set of doing that so but having that desire and that fire in the belly I think is I agree it's really important especially as we talked about different challenges and um just you know if you're going to be in property for the long term then you need to expect these and have that you know have that resilience and the tenacity to just keep on going so and do you have a mentor now um yeah i have mentors all the time uh more business partners that i work with on a regular basis so kind of co-collaborators that every business i've ever had actually i've always had business partners i think some people are inclined to that <clears throat> some people have got horrific experiences of business partnership i have some of those as well but it didn't put me off it just like learning why did that one go wrong or why did that one not work out how to get the right business partners i think it's um probably the person you marry or choose to have kids with and the business partners you have 
I think are two of the most underrecognized and yet fundamentally important drivers of either success or failure in people's lives, you know, and so more time going into thinking about not just like there's the right sort of connection and we want to do this together. Let's go for it. I mean, I've literally had one business partnership that was formed by me saying we should start a business together. And the other person thinking in their head, well, what's the worst can happen? Yeah, why not? And shaking hands over a cup of coffee, you know, uh, fortunately, that was one of the ones that worked out really well. But um, the ones that have it, it's like an alignment of values, I think is very underrecognized in business partnerships. So um, yeah, having that understanding that you've got the right values, you want to achieve the same similar things and structuring it in the right way, because I can guarantee you one thing with any business partnership at some point, they will diverge, right? People get divorced, people have health challenges, people want to go off in a different direction. Some people are super ambitious. Some people get bored and want to pivot into another industry. So um, yeah, I'm a really strong advocate actually of partnerships, but just really think about them and try and structure them in the right way. So if you were to start a new partnership today, yeah. how would you uh, assess someone's values early on and uh, let's make a distinction between their personality and how well you get on with them and their skill set versus their character I guess yeah so in an ideal world so there's a great uh, online exercise uh, I think it's called the values effect or the values factor by John, John Martin. Dr. John Martin. brilliant 13 questions free go online both of you fill it in honestly and then compare notes right and if you are way off in terms of the things you really care about it's important people fill that in honestly that for me has been one of the best indicators i've ever come across to understand people's values so i think that one's really useful uh take your time so make it a multi-stage process uh check those people out and get them to do the same with you you know i'd like to talk to their parents people that they shared a room with in university right really do same way of like you would as a really good employer, right? You'd get proper background checks. And then people that you really trust, that really know you, get them also to spend time. Because um, I think, you know, just intuitively, I think women generally have a better judge of character than men. Sometimes we're just so, so blinkered. Um, so I always really value um, the opinion of both men and women about people. Because sometimes I've been... You know, a load of guys or business partners I've got said, oh, yeah, they're really good. And yeah, he's, you know, he's a great guy and this, that and the other. And then, you know, my partner or my sister will say, Do you know what, actually, something doesn't feel right. Something I'm not sure what it is. I can't put my finger on it. And guess what? Nine times out of 10, that in the fullness of time has turned out to be true. So I should have listened. Wow. And how does it so let's wrap up with mentors then. How do you choose your mentors? If you were to choose one today, and you want obviously that differs from a lifelong business partnership but sure. how does that work uh so for me i'm quite geeky right i have spreadsheets for most things and it includes mentors and my network so i created probably 15 years ago a because you heard the old saying you become the average of the people you spend most time with or you're more likely to so uh so what i did is i created a spreadsheet and either for, you can either do this for your mentors or you can do it for your existing network or a new network you're looking to build. Um, and then down the side, you list their names of the spreadsheet um, in the kind of left hand column. And then across the top, the criteria that you want to kind of analyze, basically. So it might be things like health. It might be 
uh, wealth, it might be happiness as generic topics. But then as specific topics, you might say, I need somebody who's really good in finance because that's a weakness that I have or somebody that's got a lot of property knowledge. I want a, you know, a property mentor. Um, and so what I tend to do with my existing network, I always start you know, seven times quicker, cheaper, easier to work with people you already know that are in your world. I score them minus three to plus three on each of these scales. Right. So um, so if you were scoring me, you might say, oh, Steve might be on property knowledge. Residential property knowledge might be a plus three. OK, um, because he's done a lot and he's been there. But actually, when it comes to current information about lettings and the legal system and the renters reform bill, you might score me a zero or a minus one because I've been out of it for three years and I'm an active angel investor now. Um, and so I might get a lower score in that regard. So for a business strategy and growing a big portfolio, you might come to me, um, you know, somebody like me as a mentor, whereas for the detail bit. So I always think having a numerical way of kind of analyzing people is a good thing to do. Word of mouth is always a great thing, right? Um, not getting drawn in by some of the hype that's out there, right? I've been involved with three legal cases, one of which resulted in somebody being put in prison, um, a, you know, a property guru um, that actually spoke at a property event quite a long time ago and was voted by 200 people in the audience out of all the speakers that day as the most ethical, trustworthy, honest person in the industry. Right. So there's always in this industry charlatans, sharks that are generally brilliant marketeers, right? Brilliant at presenting a public face, um, but not necessarily having the substance or there's, you know, legal cases going on in the background and all, all that sort of thing. So, yeah. So asking around, you know, YPN's got great source of information. There's some really good property forums out there, like, you know, Property Tribes. And I don't know if it's still going Property 118 used to be pretty good where you're crowdsourcing opinions from people and you can just post for free and say, what do you think? I always think another good one is um, put the name of the company or the individual into Google um, or ChatGPT and, um, and put scam at the end of it or lawsuits or court cases. And that can actually um, be quite revealing sometimes. That's lots of got top tips there and uh, quite logical as well. I like it. <laughs> Takes the emotion out of it. Sometimes it's important to. Uh, and that bit's that. important, right? you got to um, yeah. not always. I think there's an old saying, separate the learning from the teacher. So sometimes just because, you know, if it's a short term interaction, and you just want to solve a problem and you need a couple of hours of input. You might like one of the, one of my favorite books actually is called No Angel by Bernie Eccleston. And it's his life story. It is the antithesis of how I would live my life and how I operate in business, but really useful to understand. And I got some good stuff from it, right? Not everything the guy has done in building Formula One has been bad. Obviously, some of it's commercially been good, but, you know, having bouncers, giving people death threats and that sort of thing is uh, not, not the kind of life that I would want to lead and having court cases over his head every day. Yeah. Absolutely. OK, well, um, do you just tell us a bit about what you're up to now then. So angel investing and, uh, you know, what what does life look like now? Yeah, so I've got an angel investing fund called Bolt Angels. We do angel and venture investing um, really efficient from a tax point of view. You can if you've anybody's paid capital gains tax or is going to pay capital gains tax from selling property, which obviously is 28 percent rather than normal 20 percent. 
you can roll that tax that you paid or are going to pay into investments, EIS qualifying investments. Um, you get 30% back of income tax when you make the investment pretty soon afterwards from HMRC. So it's pretty rare to get a Somebody uh, I spoke to recently invested 25 grand and got a seven grand check back from HMRC in the same tax year. So that's kind of quite unusual. Zero capital gains tax. Um, they can be inheritance tax free. So there's a million tax benefits. And, you know, when I when I went to the high court um, to take on HMRC about the, the tenant tax, then I just realized you're fighting against a conservative government or any government that wants to tax landlords to oblivion, it seems. Um, whereas when you invest in businesses, it's the complete opposite. You're seen as a knight in shining armor um, and all these tax benefits. So, so that's what we do. EIS investments in fast growth startups in primarily in the tech sector now. Um, most recent one we exited achieved 46 times return, which is obviously people say, oh, it's impossible. But people told me it was impossible to get 300% more rental income from HMOs when I started doing it, right? Nobody was doing professional let HMOs in the UK back in 2004, or very few people. Um, and we went on to create over 7,000 rooms. So same with angel investing, people have this notion that, oh, it's long term, it's high risk, it's going to fail. Well, at the moment, we've got an incredible success rate on the five that we've done. They're all still trading, some we've exited from. Um, they can also produce income, which some people don't understand. You can get seven to ten percent income from certain angel investments. So that's what I focused on. I really doubled down on that. Um, democratized fund ownership. So we have at the moment about 30 shareholders in the business that are minority shareholders. So like PPP, right? I kind of I get bored and don't enjoy just doing things on my own. It was so satisfying building a community of over 400 franchisees and seeing them have you know massive lifestyle changes um which property can do but also angel investing can do so i've exited my residential and commercial property a because of the macro but also for personal reasons been there done it had the portfolio got bored wanted to do new challenges and i've never come across a property that can give you a 46 percent return on a uh, so 46 times not percent 46 times return on your money in two or three years so uh that's what I do now is try and find unicorns, find the next unicorn. So go on then. I'm sure people, are, if some people might have, think, might, they, might, they might think they have a unicorn. What is a unicorn business to you? Uh, so a unicorn has to be worth, grow to be worth over a billion pounds um, in value or billion dollars. So that's the that's the kind of the definition of a unicorn. Uh, so we tend to get involved when a business is valued, you know, usually between two and 10 million. Um, sometimes up to the current investment we're doing is valued at 45 million. But we want to invest in things that we think have a 20 time minimum, 20 times uplift um, within three to five years, which, again, sounds uh, very difficult to do. And frankly, it is. But when you've been doing it a long time, you've got an amazing team, amazing network. It, it is it genuinely is possible. And even if it's not right, even if you get double your money or triple your money, if you get in early, then uh, and with all the tax benefits that's that's where i mean it's people say it's the business you were born to lead i loved property as a means to an end and i still think it's a phenomenal wealth creation tool done in the right way at the right time with the right strategy um but actually the toilets tenants trades people i used to outsource you know that bit i never enjoyed whereas i'm genuinely passionate about businesses that change the world and so for me i found 
it's a bit frustrating. It took me till I was 54 to find the asset class that I really am going to be investing into for the rest of my life. So, uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't mind being as frustrated as you by 54. um wow fantastic well thank you so much for all your insights and it's great to have someone with such diverse experience on and can have that high level picture and it's great to see you know that property has you know allowed you to achieve your goals and uh, you know you've come full circle really starting business through property and then uh, and then coming out with the other side so uh, where can people find out more about what you're up to or if they think they've got a unicorn business and they're interested in in reaching out yeah, so we've got um, on the Bolt Angels website, boltangels.co.uk is a good place to go. There's a free resources section. So I have a podcast called Be an Angel. And then I also have a free um, masterclass, Angel Investing Masterclass. So that's on there. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. We put posts out daily on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, um, that sort of stuff. But I would say TikTok and LinkedIn are my main sort of social platforms okay it's interesting fantastic well thank you so much for your time again and we look forward to seeing what's next (laughs) (laughs) brilliant thanks very much michelle thanks steve Um, for anyone else who is not yet a subscriber to the magazine click the link below for your free 30-day trial see you next time guys